Hello geeks and nerds, greetings and salutations. As always, I am Gareth and this is the Geeks Journal podcast edition. This is history right now. This is this is the very first one that we're doing of this and you know, I've been doing the YouTube thing for a while and personally I was getting a bit lonely just being in front of the camera on my own so I wanted to call on some very near and dear friends of mine for this premiere episode so first up we have Ollie good afternoon nice to see you all and we also have Luke hello how you doing and from the average gamers podcast we also have Lee hello there so just a bit of background for everyone on this we've been friends since school really and have always been very linked in a love of, of all nerd culture and tv and and, and and film and all such i would say uh, yeah uh, very true i mean we developed a friendship probably over x-men quite that's early right. on yes yeah 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 because it would have been the 95 cartoon did, that was coming did you out just walk up to him and like start humming the uh, theme tune i think well for us lee it was my uh it was my super mario brothers pen wasn't it Ben the Boffin. The Ben the Boffin. Ben the Boffin for yes, I remember that. <laughs> so for all the so for all the for all the millennials and Gen Zs out there that aren't familiar with this, there used to be a show called The Big Breakfast on Channel Four, and they had this spotty little nerd that coincidentally called... came to our hometown. Did he really? Did he really? It did. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm sorry. Why wouldn't you come to our hometown? Well, there are a myriad reasons, but okay. Uh, okay, but let's, carry not, on. let's not alienate any listeners out there. For the... <laughs> but there was this guy called Ben the Boffin, who used to be the uh, games reviewer for The Big Breakfast. And I was at the International Air Tattoo in Fairford, and Nintendo had this big truck there, and they were playing Super Street Fighter 2, in which they were inviting people up on stage. That's the legend of a game. And you would play Ben the Boffin, and he was virtually unbeatable. If you won, you had... Uh, you got a I could have him. You had a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you say that now. Well, he's not here. And <laughs> if you won, you got a T-shirt saying, I beat Ben the Boffin. If you lost, you got a poster and a pen of Super Mario All-Stars, which I think arguably best platform game ever. And it's also a better prize, to be honest, than than the T-shirt. I, I, I agree. I agree, which is why I said, <laughs> which you thought, I, I remember because you told me this a few months after we became friends because I told you how I got the pen. You thought it was a very snooty thing for me to say, like I was boasting. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we stuck around through that. Strutting around with his pen, with his Mario pen. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, mate, are you joking? <laughs> I was beating him off with a stick with that pen. Are you joking? <laughs> yeah, like as if that was going to work. Yeah, Luke, I think we like we became friends in school a little later, didn't we? I think it was just as we left school, I believe, where I kind of got friends with most of you guys. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it was sort of, sort of that transition between like school and sixth form. I think it's when we sort of all started hanging out a bit more. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, love of Star Wars and all that. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, so... It's, it's all right. Just, yeah, so it'll do, yeah. And, any, any port in a storm. Yeah. <laughs> So we decided to, you know, I've been doing this this YouTube bit for a while and I thought it would be quite fun to reflect on a lot of films that I've grown up watching and and, and that we all have. And so we, just, so we decided to give this a, a crack and we decided to go with the first film of the classic, I'm going to bury the lead here on how I feel about this film, but the classic that is... Roadhouse starring Patrick Swayze. Now, part of the reason why we chose this film is because, Lee, you've never watched this film until this point, have you? 
no, no. I was only really aware of it from the, you know, in the pop culture sense because of Family Guy, you know, of Peter Griffin roundhouse kicking a guy and shouting roadhouse after it roadhouse there's the only other than maybe the movie poster that i'd seen somewhere else that's the only time i was ever aware of this film so i had no preconceptions about this film wow. whatsoever i cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this <laughs> film <laughs> i mean like luke how did you like when did you first watch this film as well were you were you slightly older or or, or do you Watched it in your teens. Um, for me, I, I, you know, I can't remember. I'm going to go back probably early sort of twenties. So I, I was a young adult by then, anyway. But yeah, loved it. So I, that's that's where I'm coming from. So trying to be objective on this, I already had the preconception that I actually liked this movie. So <laughs> I can't really say much. It's like yes, I love it, and I it's probably one of the ones I do watch at least once a year. So wow. <laughs> so it's a great nostalgia watch for you then. For me, yeah, 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 yeah it is. And what about you, Al? So. I think I probably watched this in like the mid to late 90s, just when I went through a real heavy phase of like consuming all cinema. Like I <laughs> like they used to put these films on late night channel four. You know, it's it's in the vein of Die Hard, the Lethal Weapon films. I see Lee is pulling a face there, but, you know, it's just <laughs> action, guts and glory kind of film with explosions. It's definitely of its time. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd put it as head, in its heady heights as Die Hard, but no, carry on. but it, <laughs> it had the, the prestige of having the same producer who, okay. as we'll probably discuss, is Joel Silver, who, well, perhaps right. we'll dis- discuss later, but is the producer of everything in hollywood guessing the budget was a lot lower on this compared to die hard though right i will I, i'll i'll <laughs> run the numbers of die hard later but yeah i'll i'll get into budget talks about that a little later yeah so that was probably when i last watched it but when we discussed it and talked about it i did have fond memories of it and we'll stick with that for now excellent so yeah okay well i think the easiest thing is just to get into it so i actually Watch, Lee, I know that you watch this on Netflix. Other streaming services mm. are available, everyone, but you know it's the only one that's showing Roadhouse right now. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. You're gonna. Sorry, <laughs> you're gonna hear a lot of that, people. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I watched actually watched it on the DVD that I still have of this film, which was really painful to watch on a on a 4K TV. I hasten to add, mm-hmm. but I, I watched the trailer first, and I thought what was really hilarious with this is that I think marketing people could actually take a leaf out of doing trailers like this because they introduce the character and they show a lot of like really kick-ass scenes in it they don't tell you jack shit about the story (laughs) like literally (laughs) nothing it's because there's so much chaos going on and it's just roadhouse and it's it's nothing I mean, to be fair, you probably don't get much more context watching the film, if I'm honest. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) I was going to say there is very little storyline anyway. Matt, we perhaps should give some... Well, Gareth, you should perhaps give some context to the film of what what happens to start with. So, for those people that are not blessed with the knowledge of this movie, Roadhouse stars Patrick Swayze as a man called Dalton, and he gets hired by this guy who has a club in Missouri called the Double Deuce. <laughs> <laughs> the most unfortunate name. 
There's a line. It just reminds me of the scene in Brooklyn Nine-Nine where um, you got Charles Boyle who just says, like, nope, it's, it's like aces, but twice as cool. And he goes, it is not. It is a turd. <laughs> the guy hires Dalton to come and straighten up this bar. Dalton is a, a head bouncer and very good at his job. And so he brings him in to straighten the place up and make it a lot more... Uh, respectable and that's it like 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 that's the entire yeah. premise of the film is that he gets brought in to make this place better and and for it to run smoother there's like he in, in a very stereotypical way falls in love and there's a bad guy and there's also and it's just all over the place but we'll get in the nitty-gritty of that in a minute but ultimately it is predicated on him being hired to do this job he is actually working and just to, just in context for the for the timeline he is working at this very high-end club the at the start stand. of the film the bandstand and what is really a really interesting trivia on that the band that is playing called the crusados in the film crusados is actually headed up by uh tito i think it's la uh, riva who later this band breaks up he goes off on his own and crit and and starts up the band tito and tarantula which as some people may know is the band that performs in from dusk till dawn oh. and is also uh, responsible it's uh, after dark is the is the song from there, and then he also, and then they also did IMDb trivia, Ollie. It's a gold mine. Yeah, I, perhaps I should have done a little <laughs> bit of research prior. That's that's why I knew. <laughs> it's the only reason I knew. I'm gonna I'm gonna edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I haven't even seen it from Dustal Dawn, so uh Yeah uh, What? Well we're gonna get wow, well we're okay. gonna we're gonna get into that on a future episode. I fucking promise you that <laughs> right now. There. So that that opening scene, right? I know I don't know if <laughs> you know, I don't want to make this a play by play of the film, but like for what is the establishing few shots, I was like, What is going on? Like I know it was the eighties, but like nobody was dancing in time to that band. Like literally, there is one guy at one in one scene. We laughed out loud because we we're like, "That guy is having a fit. He's not dancing at all. He's <laughs> just like it looked like he was being electrocuted or something." And then the whole like the whole bit where Dalton gets hired, the I forget the actor's name, but he's just giving him like creepy kind of come to bed eyes, and he's like so sinister. I'm like, I'm like this guy's the bad guy, right? Oh, the guy that hires him. Yeah, oh, I'm like yeah. this is he's blatantly going to double cross him. And then the whole kind of exposition bit that they or attempted exposition is like, I don't fly; it's too dangerous. Okay, so th- this is gonna this is gonna play into it later, right? This is this is a setup for something I'm thinking, but maybe I gave it too much credit at that point. Anyway, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, Lee. It is it's peculiar. Um, you get this this gentleman turns up at this bar in a limousine to start with. He, mm. he hands either cash or a card to the doorman he just has that like look about him of sinister mobster he then peruses the bar and then as he goes to meet dalton he just walks in and glares Mm. at him as you say and it's just like oh right here we go shit's gonna go down Mm -hmm. straight away oh no he's (laughs) he's here to offer him a job I mean, let's also not give him too much credit when we say he pulls up in a limo. It's an airport limo. Like, he hasn't ri- hard, he it? hasn't yeah. driven it all the way from Missouri. He's not swimming around in a pool of coins like Scrooge McDuck. Like, this, like he has a man has a budget. He just wants to look a little bit more up level. I, like, there, were, there were two things that went through my mind with that opening scene. One, it, like, it was so 80s it hurt me. All the way up to, like, the, but, like, like it was, like, straight out of a white snake music video just the overtly (laughs) sexual camera pan up the woman to about like the middle of the back and then that was it it was unbelievable um you can you can do that shit now 
well, it's the opening shot alone. It's the Ferrari pulls up. Uh, young oh, woman. horrendous 80s Ferrari. Yeah. yeah. The soundtrack like, as well. Yeah, you've got someone with an incredible perm. <laughs> but this is what actually I thought, I'm going to bit of credit to the film and director here, is that this is the best 80s bar in the country. It has all the yuppies. It has the the best band, top alcohol. You know, everyone's, to coin a phrase of the film, probably, is, is hip, has the perms, modern, like, Miami Vice dress wear. And then, in comparison to the double juice, where people are walking around <laughs> shirtless, they have everyone and their mum has a mullet. <laughs> there are a lot of mullets in that scene. And they just glass each other for fun. Well, though, I was going to ask what your metric was, but you've answered that. But, yeah, it's very much of its time, that opening scene especially. I mean, the whole film is, but... That there's that bit where I'm pretty sure the girl's underage when the, there's a guy chatting her up and he's like, oh, I get off at two, you know, then I'm going to get you off or something. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's about 16, mate. That doesn't look right at all. Oh, that has yeah, not yeah. aged well no. at all. <laughs> no, but he knows that. But he knows that as well. That's the thing. Like, because they checked their IDs. <laughs> so this, oh, they, they already, he already, he? Yeah. he already, well, the door, he told Dorman to let them in. So he already knew. And then obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's not not <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, that's in the double deuce. Um, yeah. I think we also like. I think we also need to throw out a special mention and a salute to Patrick Swayze's glorious mullet in this, which I think is just it's it's another level. And he actually a thing of beauty. It's fantastic. <laughs> but one thing that he apparently, from what I was reading, did describe as the bane of his existence. There was an argument between <laughs> who actually used more hairspray in the film, whether it was Swayze. Or Kelly Lynch as the Doctor. Is it weird that during that opening scene where the band is playing and people are quote unquote dancing, that I found myself getting physically tense? As a, well, that's not two meters. Is that weird? <laughs> <laughs> is that how conditioned that we are days. now? I'm watching yes. that and just I'm thinking, ah, it's just odd. I can just remember watching it, going, I would hate a place like that. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I'm like, oh, <laughs> they'd just be yes. wound up permanently, like. Give me some space and just—it's too loud. I just want to it's sit too in loud a nice. I can't enjoy my drink. I just want to sit in a nice, quiet place where I can talk with my friends. Exactly, exactly. I'm an old fart. Yeah, okay. Excuse me, barman. Do you serve an ale? <laughs> I don't want a drink that has an umbrella in it. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. That's all we have here. Yeah, yeah we only do cosmopolitans yeah. with with little umbrellas. <laughs> I love the the film wastes no time. I love the fact that like this guy literally goes in and says, I want you to come in and clean this place up. And he goes, okay, but you're paying for all my medical bills. Now you know that shit is gonna go sideways really, really fast when you need someone <laughs> to pay for your medical bills that badly. And the second that this deal is done, he just he just ups and goes. He just gets in the car and drives straight to Missouri. Yeah, yeah, like no, no here's my card or anything like that. But also, is he that good at his job if he needs that many medical bills? I'd be asking a few. I'd be like, well, you know, he's, he's permanently getting like knifed and shot and all the, and stabbed and everything. Like, oh, maybe I should get someone a bit better who's good at not getting shot and stabbed. Well, technically in the film, he actually does say um, his, his mate Wade Garrett, played by Sam Elliott, is actually the best person. And he goes, I've spoken to him, but he's told him to go to get Dalton instead. So it's, um, yeah, so he's, he's already, so technically he's, he's not, well, technically he's the best, but um, obviously he doesn't think he's the best. <laughs> you have to wonder if 
that is because that not because Wade was busy, but just because he thought this place is gonna fucking kill me if I go there. I'll send Dalton instead. Yeah. <laughs> So he gets in his car and just drives away and he heads down to Missouri and he just goes straight to the double deuce. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Never going to get old. Oh, God. <laughs> and the Jeff Healy band is playing. Now, I don't know if anyone was familiar with, with Jeff Healy before this. I was watching this film. I think the first time that I watched it, I was about 15, 16. I was watching it with my dad. And uh, like since I was sort of eight or nine, I was growing up listening to a lot of like rhythm and blues and, 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 and soul and, and blues stuff as well. Never, ever heard of Healy before. And then dad told me a bit more about him and listening to his stuff. Brilliant. Absolute legend. And I just love, he's sort of there as this weird little all knowing sage character for Dalton. Like every so often he'll just come up with this little pearl of wisdom and then disappear again and then play a couple of songs and then come back. So this, um, I forget his name already, the, the blind guy, Jeff Healy. Yeah. Like, why? What's they never explain the whole link between? It's like, oh yeah, it's, it's good to see you. Ha ha. Very funny. But like, what was the context behind their relationship prior to this? Because I thought maybe they'd touch on it a bit later. They never do. Well, it's just, oh, he happens to know him. They do briefly mention that they did work together previously in another bar. Oh, I must have missed that bit then. I mean, I was I was probably more incredulous at everything else that had gone on when they established the double juice. Was it the topless because... dancer? It was just like, you know, there was pretty much a comedy bar brawl. And it's like the bouncer just, he tries to get rid of someone. He just throws the guy into another table. So he ruins their night. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what's going on? So I've watched this film God knows how many times over the last 20 odd years. And the thing that I never clicked on before is that Morgan, who is the biggest doorman of the lot at this point, you know, the big guy, crazy little short perm. I never realised that that's actually wrestling legend Terry Funk. Oh, really? One of the, like, for me, like, one of the funniest scenes, and it's right at the start, where he's just, like, they've got the whole, like, you've got the, the, the drunk guy that comes out with a nipple-to-nipple line, and this guy, like, Morgan's, like, six foot eight or something like that, like, so it seems. He's a tall dude, and he just comes out of nowhere, like a jack-in-the-box. The second he says that line, he just goes, bing! And he just goes straight for him. I just thought, I don't know how you camouflage a man that big. That's talent. <laughs> I was, I mean, there was a point at this stage. I was like, is this, is this a comedy? Is it like, you know, a, a police academy-esque kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek look at, you know, f- fighting films or something? I really couldn't tell at this point. And I, I said to my wife at the time, I was like, is this, is, is this a comedy? Is Are we meant to be finding this hilarious or is this just bad like but hilariously bad we w- really weren't sure at this point but yeah sorry carry on the level of beer pouring in this film gave me severe anxiety from start to finish <laughs> um it's awful like genuinely like, like at one point like yeah it's yeah it's like that much beer and that much foam i don't know why i'm indicating like that on an audio podcast 50 for the benefit of the listener <laughs> for the benefit of the listener um i have just i have just demonstrated about four centimeters of beer and eight centimeters of foam sometimes the glass wasn't even full and he was just shipping it out like that i don't no wonder he was still keeping his job as the as, as the bad guy's nephew man is so unbelievably shit as a barman with his greasy hairstyle. Oh, well. God. Again, um, that is a, a recording artist known as John Doe. Oh, really? Who, yeah. Um, I've only heard of him before because in the first volume soundtrack for True Blood, there's a song called 
uh, Golden State, and he does a duet on that. But again, like my dad got me listening to him as well through uh, through that soundtrack. It's really good. The the owner changing graffiti on the wall I thought was a really odd choice. Yeah. I couldn't for work a good out. Buick. Yeah, for a good view. <laughs> now I couldn't. <laughs> those people that haven't changed it like 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 the owner walks past a piece of graffiti that just says for a great fuck call da 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 and it's an actual number it doesn't say da 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 that would be weird but he changed it to uh, a great buick and this really confused me like i don't know if it's because that he thinks that it's going to class the place up a little bit part of me wondered was it his phone number his number yeah <laughs> never even thought of does that. he have a car to sell <laughs> it's really strange um randomly after that i like something that i saw and, and and consequently confirmed later apparently dalton is driving buicks the entire time he's in missouri oh really which is really uh, just such a random coincidence i say it's a coincidence because there is no way that the director thought that up there is absolutely no way <laughs> that they thought this that intricately. Perhaps it was a car, perhaps it was a Buick dealership in Missouri or something. Special plug. Like, you think yeah, that was like a product, phone number product placement? Yeah. Phone number for the actual dealership. I never thought about that. <laughs> hey, I work at marketing. That's that's how we do it. That's guerrilla marketing, right there. <laughs> this bar scene has so many tit shots. It started making me uncomfortable. It was, it was. It was one did of the, you need a cushion. I did. <laughs> my wife was asleep. It was fine, but the <laughs> it was it, like it was just one of those things. That, again, we're going back to the start of the film where it's just that there. There's. I think there's only so many times that you can justifiably say, "Man, it was the '80s." Like it's. <laughs> it's just. I wore that button out watching this. <laughs> what the pause button? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like this, like like this bar fight. I think I watched the Blues Brothers a bit, like a couple of years before I watched Roadhouse. And so there's a there's a scene they go into this country bar, and there's a they they play in a cage. And the hilarious thing of it is that like if if they don't like the music, then bottles get thrown. If they do like the music, bottles get thrown. And it's like I don't know if this is something like like south of the Mason Dixie line is something that happens a lot. Sorry, Mason Dixon. Sorry, not Dixie. I think it's something. Like obviously hereditary about dive bars. So I watched another classic fairly recently, Howard the Duck, mm. which also has a bar scene in it. And the girl band, girl band, sorry Lee, <laughs> is behind Chicken Wire, which is pretty much what's holding that bar together anyway. It's a really brilliant scene. Like the the, the bar fight breaks out and. It really sets the tone, considering he doesn't do anything at this point, and that's quite funny. He's just watching everything fly. I think that's quite a, a pivotal point, almost, for Dalton, though. He walks into the bar... <laughs> in his character development, in this saga. <laughs> well, it is, well, I know it's laughable, but it is. He walks into the bar, he's unknown, no one knows who he is, and now he's getting the lay of the land. He's hmm. observing the bar, like, naturally deteriorate over the course of an evening into <laughs> wrestlemania quote unquote an evening it takes about 90 seconds for all <laughs> shit to go south yeah okay very true but i think that's part of his character you know he goes in he's the cooler and he's observing it's him making notes isn't it you're probably right i mean i was kind of under the impression i was like if you ran this backwards would it feel like that red dwarf episode backwards with the barroom brawl in that, or maybe an episode of like the 60s Adam West Batman, 
you know, where there's a big old fight in that. Because that's kind of how it felt to me. <laughs> I genuinely was like, I'm still I, at this point in my head. I'm like, is this is this a comedy? I'm still unsure. I'm still trying to work out where we're going with this. <laughs> I mean, I love that, like Ollie's saying that no one knows who he is, and he's just there getting the lay of the land. Within two minutes, exactly. <laughs> Within two minutes, he introduces himself to a completely random barmaid and it just spreads like wildfire throughout the entire bar. Hey, 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 that's Dalton. And everyone knows who he is. Uh, I don't know. And of course, like the one thing that everyone knows, is, I heard he killed a guy. It's like, well, like <laughs> get to work then. Like, don't just stand around yeah. and just bang people left and right. Well, I, I just, I, go, I, I assume that does happen. But I, for me, I, I kind of feel like the boss has gone to get him, so they've probably done some research already. So he mm. must have already talked to his employees. Oh, we're going to get this guy to come and help sort us out. So they must have a already know who he is, or well, idea of who he is. Don't know what he looks like. So this guy turns up, and then they go, "Oh yeah, my name's Dalton." Of course, this is going to go spread round. Good shit. This is Dalton here now. We have to. What's going on? And then um, yeah, and obviously yeah, as you say, he's there just to get the lay of the land. Within thirty seconds, um, the bar's on fire. <laughs> proverbially on fire but i mean like <laughs> everything's gone down just because he, he <laughs> with like a massive fight and as, as lee was saying earlier i just find it it's like it's so hysterically funny um it's so over the top classic mm. 80s though but over the top fighting yeah um and it, i was like you, if you know what sort of like you can watch the punches you can clearly see them not actually landing any punches but it's so <laughs> over the top it's hilarious it was good it was good. I love the fact, like, there's the, the like, there's the constant joke as well. Just saying, I thought you'd be bigger, <laughs> which I think they actually lifted in Escape from L.A. with Kurt Russell. Actually, they do a joke about that because he's got quite mullety as well. And was uh, that prior to this? No, no, no. That was later. That was later. So oh, really? Escape from oh. L.A. was the sequel to New York, and I don't know if that's because Patrick Swayze was originally supposed to be in Tango and Cash, which went to Kurt Russell. So I don't know oh. if they were drawing similarities there or not. Um, but yeah, dur like during the filming, Swayze's knee got quite injured. Um, he was just having like fluid drained left and right out of his knee. So he couldn't do the film, which led to him then needing to go on for something a little less strenuous, which is then how he went to do Ghost a year later. Right. OK. Anyway, a little random trivia for you. I love his little talk to everyone at at the start where he's he where he's saying i just want you to be nice i worked in a nightclub for almost five years i can guarantee you right now being nice didn't enter into it a lot you put up with a lot of crap <laughs> i mean we've come a long way really haven't we from that to like you know the the three rules of fight club because is this you know that that resonated a lot more with me than than these three rules that that dalton gives out i don't know but... i got into some pretty hairy crap in that club <laughs> But why why are they leaving the running of the bar down to the bouncer? Surely it's the guy who owns the bar should be setting the rules. Like again, are they how 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 much faith are they putting in this one guy? <laughs> how good is he? <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. I think the idea is that the cooler kind of maintains it's more bar manager overall. You got the owner that's kind of dealing with the bottom line and then that's the second in command that's dealing with everything else. But then of course the first line of defense that he has to look after is the door the guy shot and stabbed. Yeah. Um there was a guy <laughs> like like we're about half an hour in at this point when the like when he's working with them during the night. And this is the first time that you actually see him like kick or throw a punch or whatever. And I couldn't help but notice that the guy 
that he throws into the table and brings back up, for some reason, just reminded me of Screech from Saved by the Bell. I don't know why. <laughs> I couldn't unsee it after that. It just was his name. Dustin, Take Dustin, that, Dustin, Dustin Diamond. Dustin Diamond, yeah. that was it. I, I, I was trying to remember his name. <laughs> I actually I actually wrote down in my notes, who let Screech in the bar? I wasn't sure if it was him, to be honest. But like during this first fight, and this is what got me, is that he's trying to keep some level of anonymity. People know who he is within the industry and that sort of thing. And, like, within one night of running that, Jeff Healy blows his fucking cover and just on a microphone just going and say, That, everybody, is Dalton. <laughs> I want to keep a little low profile on it rather than anything. <laughs> yeah, paint a target on your friend. Unbelievable. <laughs> I got a little weirded out with the fact that, obviously, like, when he gets that, but like, when he moves into that barn, you know, he meets... He meets Emmett, uh, the, uh, the guy that, that, that leases it oh, The to nice him. old man. Nice yeah. old man, who for a split second I thought was um, the guy that played Santa Claus in Santa Claus the movie. Um, <laughs> turns out he was just another big guy with a big beard. Who knew? They all look alike. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> but what I got very confused by is the fact that, one, I didn't know why Emmett was watching him do Tai Chi for as long as we did. Oh, I'm pretty sure he was getting off on that. That was my that was my takeaway. Two, why were we watching him do Tai Chi for as long as he did? <laughs> I'm pretty sure we were all getting off on that. And then I mean, the last thing that they do is cut back to Emmett as if I don't want to watch the aftermath. It's like <laughs> it's just uncomfortable. I suppose it is supposed we're supposed to like feel this awe towards him, like and. All of a sudden, we're supposed to understand where his Zen calmness has come from. I mean, let's think about it. This is the late 80s. We're now a generation of yoga and Pilates. But back then, was it such a big thing? Was it in the general zeitgeist? Is is this what sets mm. him apart because he can study the mystical powers of the Far East? Well, that's it, isn't it? It's like he is like. I mean, he's no Mr. Miyagi, let's be honest. That's awe inspiring. (laughs) That is. (laughs) Indeed. Don't do the accent. (laughs) Please don't do the accent. I mean, before that, we meet the the, the, the bad guy of the piece, Brad Wesley, who uh, is played by a guy called Brad Gazzara. And he is just, for me, banging it to the cheap seats. He's just absolutely phenomenal in this. And then, of course, we also meet Jimmy, who's the the muscle and you you can see it coming a mile away battle of the mullets is coming you don't know when but you've got that initial stare off and you're gonna say shit is on there was one there was one thing that i noticed the goof which is a little later because then they start needing to come and collect money from the club and they're gonna get john doe they're gonna get the bartender his job back because he's because he's wesley's nephew then he gets into a fight with dalton and i don't know if anyone else picked up on this dalton is about to punch him in the face and I freeze-framed it because before he even connects, before something is even done, he's already bleeding from his nose. <laughs> That's how good he is. I don't so really. so I don't know if like how many times they had to do that shot, or if he accidentally got punched the first time and thought, well, we can't do makeup on this, we're just gonna have to keep going. But yeah, for some reason <laughs> that got past continuity. Once that fight breaks out and he gets all caught up, we get into the 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 meeting between him and the lovely doctor, which for a split second, I, I like, like again in my notes, I actually wrote down. Of course, Dalton has a degree in philosophy. Why wouldn't he? 
Like, <laughs> what a ridiculous thing. To, like, like how? Was it an honorary thing? Did you do that before or after he is supposed to have killed someone? I, like, like, it's just, it's just exposition that doesn't seem to go very far. I like to imagine that he just, like, threatened the guy. He's like, give me a philosophy degree or <laughs> I will murder you. I'll break every single bone in your body. That's Maybe that's how he got it, to be honest. Headcanon, like, that's how he did it. So I'm going to disagree with you there, Lee, because doesn't he make a comment about fighting doesn't... or no one ever wins in a fight? Except except, except Dalton. Except Dalton, who always wins in a fight. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps, yes, perhaps he did. That's how he got his Bachelor of Sciences. <laughs> I mean, I also would say he doesn't necessarily win in a fight. He just survives and stumbles off. As good as a win, yeah. then, right? <laughs> yeah, he gets less hurt than everyone else. So, Fair enough. Yeah, you're, you're exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Winning, yeah. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> it's it's really fun. Like when she goes through the medical records and she's seeing all of this stuff, and when she's stapling him up, I swear to God, the only person that I've seen with injuries like that is Christian Bale in The Dark Knight Rises. Just a slew. Uh, just I, I don't understand how you're walking around right now. You shouldn't be <laughs> like like like. It's just ridiculous. For a guy that is the supposed to be like the action and romantic lead in this film, when it comes to the Doctor, this guy has no game at all. <laughs> it is so awkward. And it's just about it's like like maybe one time you'd like to come down to the club one night. It's like, dude. <laughs> Uh, maybe that's what she liked her. maybe she liked the kind of nervousness and the let me tell or it was just bad dialogue probably let me tell you something about this woman <laughs> this bitch is damaged straight up <laughs> like she always said she makes a joke about that not a joke sorry she makes a statement about the fact that like she used to be married but she obviously met the wrong guy newsflash you're about to meet the wrong one again this dude <laughs> is bad news I just maybe she just felt found, found, found like she needed to uh, hear someone I can practice my medical skills on. No, that's maybe what she was thinking. Just needs some practice. He, he, this guy here is every he's in here every week. I need to practice, might as well. And he's and, and he's pretty cute to do, uh, cute as well. That's what she's thinking. <laughs> Actually, uh, Luke, I agree, especially after one of the most like infamous lines from the film pain doesn't hurt. What? By definition, <laughs> pain hurts. And having your ribs stapled after you've just been stabbed certainly hurts. Talking but from experience there, Al? Or just... Multiple stab wounds to the ribs. So we see... The I think night... there's a better line of dialogue coming up, but I'll wait until we get to that scene, but carry on. So the night after this bar fight, we see in Wesley's mansion, the guys come back from jail or hospital, or wherever the hell they've ended up. And you see... I mean, I, I, I couldn't unsee the fact. I was trying to work out if they were deliberately trying to make Jimmy look like George Michael. There was something very weird going on there. <laughs> I mean, Wham were big, right? So... Yeah, 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 absolutely. So they've got to be like heading towards some demographic. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't the first thing I noticed. It was the monster truck. I actually wrote down in capital letters, <laughs> MONSTER TRUCK? Question mark, exclamation point. Yeah, this is every redneck. America. 80s. Dream, isn't it? You know, <laughs> yeah, 80s America. Everyone has a monster truck. And a monster truck. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. Sure, why not? A monster truck. <laughs> but yes, carry on. Yes, I have a lot of question mark and exclamation points in my notes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, after a little bit of exposition with everything, we get introduced to 
Wade Garrett. We see Sam oh, Elliott. Well, before you go that far, let, let's just let's just rewind a little bit because I think my favourite line of dialogue from the whole film was, uh, or exchange of dialogue, I should say, was in that scene where he's like Dalton kind of clocks a picture in in uh, Wesley's mansion, and and so Wesley's like, "It's my grandfather. He looks like an important man. He was an asshole. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just brilliant." Just, just end it there. Don't, don't, don't give me any more exposition than that. I don't need any more. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, you were saying. So we, we, we meet um, Wade Garrett. Sorry, I just love the fact you're saying that. Like, like, like all of a sudden you're saying he was an asshole. Credits. Like that's just where the film Pretty finishes. Much. I mean, it's, it doesn't. I thought, you know, is it going to give us a bit of, you know, we're going to get a bit of a, a deep, complex bad guy here. You know, he was, he was abused by his grandfather, and that's why he's such a bastard. Or he learned everything from him, and that's why he's such a bastard. Or Oh no, he was just a bastard. So so are you. So I mean, <laughs> it was the eighties. No bad guys had any depth or other level to them. We had to wait until the mid nineties. Hans, Hans Gruber. No, come on. We didn't find out a proper backstory to Hans Gruber, and like apart from the fact of the spoiler alert, people that they're there to steal the money and not ter- and not be terrorists to that extent. But we didn't have a proper backstory to him until Die Hard with a Vengeance. Okay, uh, point conceded, but I mean, even so, like, Gruber was a much, he just seemed more layered anyway, I think. I think that's just the talent of Alan Rickman, to be perfectly honest. I think you put a man of that calibre in a role like that, no one else is going to carry that. True, true. Yeah, Sam Elliott in this, I think Sam Elliott is great in literally everything he does. I think there's very few things that he has done. I have watched every season of The Ranch on Netflix, and I have predominantly done it for this man. He's like the best thing about it. It does make me chuckle because it's like, like because of course he's a little unshaven in this, so this is clearly the early birthing of his glorious moustache that seems mm-hmm. to be in every film that he does. I think he it, I think he did shave it off for, for Justified, didn't he, Luke? And that looked a little weird. Oh yeah, a little bit, but yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we were soldiers, he doesn't have it either, as far as I remember. Oh, you're not. He's bloody brilliant in that. That's the only other film I've seen him in. But yeah, he was great in that as the Sergeant Major. I'm getting a little bit too into Sam Elliott's moustache, to be honest. I'm going to move on from that. But yeah, so so Sam Elliott, Lee, um, for other films that if you haven't watched him in, that I do actually recommend. Um, he plays uh, Wyatt Earp's brother in Tombstone with Kurt Russell, which he's, he's very good in that. But yeah, I love the fact like he's like there's a there's a little thing because he's referring to him as Miho in it, which is Spanish mm. for son. That was apparently something that that he threw in as a as a little character trait. It's nice to know that like even in films of this kind of caliber, that people are still trying to bring in a little bit of a little bit of depth to it and throw in that sort of thing. <laughs> plot. It's stuff. <laughs> plot. Sense. Yeah. I mean, it is something that clearly the actors are throwing in because I don't think the director is really going along with it that much. I got very confused with scene like like again love it but when you look at it through a little bit more of a a slightly realistic lens the fight where the guy has the knife on his boot oh yeah right right boot right boot (laughs) yeah the thing that's gleaming blinding you like jj abrams made it there's no like he just needed the ding noise as the light bounces off of it really it was all it was missing at that point would have been so much cooler if they just had the little sound effect of like ming the merciless ring from flash gordon just that (laughs) he has a boot with a knife yet he has a kick that is so high and so wide (laughs) the side of the boot is gonna hit him in the head not the knife not the thing that is the reason for there it's not decorative surely you would kick 
forward, not like yeah. roundhouse. It <laughs> made me mad. I couldn't believe it. It did. It did make me chuckle that way. He's blatantly holding a mannequin's leg when he when he intercepts the kick. Yeah, if you if you if you watch it <laughs> it's on like... an angle as well when he's dragging him, and it was like going, yeah, yeah. He's now dislocated <laughs> or broken his leg, but you know, right. <laughs> it, I'm assuming he's one of the guys that can bend his foot the other way that's normal. But I mean, uh... <laughs> I loved at the end of the fight, like everyone's walking back in and you just hear one guy muttering, going back through the door. Damn good fight. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> just love that Probably little bit of context. The doc, again, like the film gets about as stereotypical as it can in places right down to the blonde svelte doctor wearing a country gingham dress made it look like it was made out of a tablecloth i'm not sure what was going on there but again you have to like you do have to wonder how damaged is this woman what happened in this previous marriage that she has drawn to this man and again like, parallels like, with harley quinn right it must be something <laughs> like that, because ultimately... The proto Harley Quinn. So there was this husband that was bad news and she had to leave. She got the attention of Brad Wesley, another psychopath, and then Dalton. Truly damaged individual. Like, something's not right. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think she needs to take a little bit of time. She needs to take two, three years alone, maybe, and just, 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 just swear off her a little bit. I must confess, I, I actually... Because I, d- I had no awareness of this film, I didn't know who uh, Kelly Lynch was. I was like, when they first introduced the barmaid in the Double Deuce, and like she comes and visits him for breakfast and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, oh, she must be the love interest, uh, right? Ah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I probably would have preferred that actually. Yeah, like she seemed like a more relatable. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say well-rounded because that nobody's well-rounded in this film, but yeah, it just seemed like it would have been a sweeter story, you know. No, yeah, Leo, I agree. Um, and also, we found out further down the line that she can sing. She's, She's mime at that point, though, isn't she? She's singing with the Jeff Healy band that night that the fight breaks out mm-hmm. uh, with the knife boot and this because uh, they're covering Knock on Wood by Eddie Floyd. But that is actually her singing. That's not. Oh, really? That's not her lip syncing okay. to someone else. That is <clears> actually. I, I, I forget the actress's name now, but that is actually her singing. Okay, oh, fair play. Um, just as a side note, though, I do have to comment on uh, Kelly Lynch's hair. Okay. I had a quick. I had a quick look. <laughs> yeah, any more than that? <laughs> no, that's it. No, I had a quick look at it's her IMD picture. She has the straightest hair, but somehow they gave her a mullet. How? <laughs> this is this is what I was saying earlier. Like the argument between who had the most hairspray in their hair was uh, between her and Swayze is just absurd. Incredible. And with all those explosions and naked flames as well. Like, it's, it's dicey. <laughs> it was an accident waiting to happen, really, wasn't it? Like, going back to what I was saying earlier about, like, Dalton for a guy that's supposed to be, like, the action or romantic lead in this having no game. This this kiss in the, in, the, in, the, in the doctor's car, I need to talk about this because, again, it was so awkward right down to the fact... This is probably, like, the only relatable and real moment of the entire thing because it was just... Let no class to it at all the way that Dalton is undoing the seatbelt to lean over and he just kind of flings it and it's so loud and so clunky it's like the least romantic shit you could possibly be doing right now <laughs> it would be easier if you just sort of grabbed the seatbelt and leaned in with it but no he just made this grand gesture it is almost like he has this second side to him which is actually just an awkward teenager 
Maybe. Maybe you're onto something. He, he really knows is. nothing but fighting. And exactly. He, you know, <laughs> he has these mystical ways, but actually when it comes to human interaction, he's just so awkward and just so damaged that he possibly can't relate very well to other people unless it's with fists. I mean, if it is something like that, and I'm not saying it's not, I mean, I think we all know that it's not, but theoretically... <laughs> yeah, we've thought too much about it. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but you have. <laughs> I have. But when you're looking, because like later, of course, we get into the the most unsubtle love scene in a movie, <sighs> even from the 80s. Mm. It's horrible. Ever. Yeah. Which, again, I don't know if anyone's read about this. I heard something. So Kelly Lynch... Is uh is is married to a guy called Mitch Glazer. Mitch Glazer co-wrote Scrooged, and so oh, is friends with. Well, this is it. Friends with Bill Murray, and Bill Murray, whenever Roadhouse is on, and it gets to that scene, he contacts Mitch Glazer. <laughs> he prods him commitment, and just like and he's done it, for, like he did it for years. Apparently, just saying it's like, man, I'm watching Patrick Swayze. Fuck your missus. <laughs> Not only him, he's roping his brothers into it as well. Just like he's just getting bombarded with these messages whenever it's on TV. <laughs> but like, if you're saying, you know, he's got this 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 awkward side to him, things like that. And the one thing that's really going to put him off his stride is the fact that at one point, like after connection, shall we say, that the, the doctor she's laughing. She starts laughing, and I thought, like, I don't know if you're just awkward or if, like, something's wrong, but, like, I'd really take offence to that. Like, yeah, that would really put same. you off your stride. <laughs> I mean, I do agree. Perhaps it is off-putting, but I think it's a... Again, I'm overthinking this. I think it's supposed <laughs> to almost be this moment where she realises that, oh, I'm in love with you. And I think that's what they're trying to, like, exclaim... It's a weird way of showing it, though. I know, but it's kind of like this teenage lust and they're giggling over it, aren't they? Well, this is also the moment that she confesses that... How high up is his penis, by the way? Because (laughs) we watched that and we were like, she's like up near his, like, near his pecs. Like, how... How long is this thing, or how high up is it? I think you're asking a question you may not want the answer to. <laughs> Why she's laughing? Is it in yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, not on his chest, love. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> why, 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 why are you just gyrating? Do something. <laughs> I must. I mean, that one. That one came courtesy of my wife. She was like, when when that scene came on, she's like. How high up is his dick? <laughs> like she's up on his chest. Like there's not there's not a zoom window big enough I could show you right now. Yeah. Not... <laughs> uh, one thing is it, I can't. I'm trying off the top of my head now. Is this the scene where actually Brad Wesley's also watching from across the lake? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> just like it's just like <laughs> with his cigar. The, the, yeah, they're getting it on, and then it pans to him. Just well, just it goes to him. Just the other side just watch, seems to be sat in the dark on his on, on the patio, just watching. It was like, all right, mm. <laughs> creepy. But let's not forget, Dalton does exactly the same thing a little earlier. They got that big pool party going on when he first moved into the bar, uh, yeah. and he's just reading a book. But then he starts turning the light out and still yeah. watching, just going, "So right, I, I best not, I best not cause any commotion here. I want to see some titties." <laughs> the funny thing is, though, he turns off the lamp next to him, but when it pans to the barn, there's a big old light still there on. Just he's just yeah. a small light next to him <laughs> off, but the the main light's still there and on. So it's like you just what's the point? You know? They can still see you. Camouflage. <laughs> Get in the shadows a little bit more. Ooh. 
Yeah. <laughs> I love I love that like they use the song in that scene. They use um, the song called These Arms of Mine by Otis Redding, hmm. which is a, a, a beautiful song. I've loved it for years. It amuses me because I'm pretty sure they use that in Dirty Dancing as well. And they, so you, they do. I read that bit. So I, you have I, to. So you do have to wonder: Is this some sort of contractual thing that that Swayze needed? Is it? Was it? Was it a was mood it a famili- familiarity thing? Like, I guess <laughs> I guess it was, was it like, a phallic film? <laughs> no, no. Is it like you know? It's probably the director going. Oh, you know, we need to. We need to remind people that this is Swayze who was in. Dirty Dancing. Well, that was the tagline in the in the poster. Apparently, the initial promotion for it was uh, was something like like the dancing's done now it gets dirty or something like that. I thought, oh wow, okay. I mean, this is something to note. Um, Patrick Swayze has just come off the back of Dirty Dancing, which Mm. is an incredibly like sexy film. Has some like sexy moments. How how are we having this? so awkward moment between the two lead characters where there is nothing sexy about it at all what happened to him in the interim period (laughs) (laughs) it's funny it's funny actually you were so to say because obviously like you watch this a little younger it's interesting how your perception changes over time because you know i'd imagine like like when you're like sort of early teen mid-teens and watch this because like this is hot and the older you get just goes like what the hell is happening but I mean, you say about Dirty Dancing. This was two years after Dirty Dancing, I think. Along those lines, it, and, they're, and, they're, and they're still leaning on it to build him up into these roles. We see then that obviously, like, because Wesley's starting to put the vice on the town, on the bar, so they can't get liquor and all that sort of thing. And so Dalton calls in a favor with someone to come and do a delivery from out of town to them. So it's from another supplier. And that's when, of course, we start seeing Sam Elliott has come into town on his bike, makes the joke that we've all been thinking. And he just looks up, he goes, double douche, which still <laughs> still makes me laugh, even in my late 30s, still amuses me. There is not one thing about this guy that I don't like in this film. I just remember watching this when I was younger and just going, kind of like, my God, I hope I'm as cool as Sam Elliott when I'm <laughs> when I'm in my 50s. Yeah, but you're going to perv over a, a, a young a young pretty blonde doctor in in a in a diner at like you know early morning i'm gonna get to that, that i think that's a, yeah. no i think that's a very cute scene i'll get to that in a bit but i think no I, I i think that's a nice scene i i, I don't agree but okay <laughs> <laughs> obviously that we've get like we get dalton's biggest fight in the loading bay and as an introduction to to to, to wade garrett as well and again it's jeff healy that's blowing everyone's cover introducing these people they may want to be keeping a low profile. He's just telling everyone who they are. Exposition Healy. Exposition, yeah, <laughs> yeah Jeff Exposition Healy. <laughs> but then, you know, we get with actually we get into you know to 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 get back to the diner scene and the bar scene with with, with the three of them. Lee, I, I I get I've <laughs> I've not written many notes about this scene. I've actually just written down Wade Garrett, one smooth motherfucker. That's it. That's all I've written. <laughs> I just thought he was a bit creepy, to be honest. Nobody else, nobody else got that vibe then of this guy who's like old enough to be her father. Well, she's not eighteen. No, but he's, I mean, he's not exactly a spring chicken, is he? <laughs> no, I, I think what kind of, I do understand what you you're getting at, Lee. But there is also this kind of like, in enduring, kind of like, figure about like, Wade Garrett. You know, actually, he is hard as nails, tough as boots, but actually, he has this really soft 
gentle, sensual side about him, which is almost what we're missing in Dalton. Maybe. It was just he kind of shot all that down, though, by going, oh, yeah, she's got a cracking ass on her or whatever he says <gasps> as she's walking away. But he only says that to Dalton. So it there make is make it all right. No, 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 I'm not saying it makes it. No, no, no. I'm not saying it makes it all right. But I'm also saying that there is a facade and that there is a reality. And I don't think many people necessarily get to see that reality of Wade. I think he does have a soft spot for the doc. I also think that he knows that she is good for Dalton. Dalton is no way fucking good for her. But hmm. he, but he thinks that she that she is the right thing for him until everything starts going sideways again and he just goes we need to bounce there was a split second during the dialogue between him and dalton when they're talking about the memphis incident i genuinely thought he was going to say ah yeah no we thought that we we thought did he just call her a yeah yeah is it is it does he stutter on his words is that what it is he stops himself drop a c-bob he stops himself so 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 he's just about to say it and then he stops himself and reels it in because, again, you know fully he has got way more baggage than Dalton over a longer period. But Dalton has this one thing that follows him around. And so he tries to make him see the fact that, like, you got involved with this woman. She never told you anything, that she was married or anything like that. And a man put a gun in your face. So was it like the, 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 there's only two things you can do? I remember watching that. I was like, well, now, no, there's probably about four or five things that you can do. But for the purpose of this film, <laughs> yeah. yes, you either get shot or you kill him. And of course, you know, there was an epidemic of people ripping other people's throats out because they had guns to their heads in the 80s. <laughs> right? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the whole, it was a whole social commentary on, on you know, throat rippings out in America in, in the late 80s, as I'm led to understand it. <laughs> It's, it's, but yeah, the fact like you, like you almost hear him say that word when he's mm. retelling the story really took me a second because I think the only other time that I had heard it be used in a film is Mina Savari in American Beauty, which was like mm. late nineties, much later. Yeah, much later. I think yeah, I, I think one of the early recorded equivalents was like it was a Mike Nichols film in seventy one with Jack Nicholson. I can't remember the name of it now, but it's but I don't recall it being in, used in many mainstream films, I, like even alluded to. I just thought it was a really interesting touch to 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 drop that in there. Yeah, going back to how damaged I think the doc is, I think many people glance over the fact that this woman has been up drinking and dancing with these guys all night, and she's going to like take forty winks for a couple of hours and then go in and be <laughs> responsible for other people's lives. We're not gonna. It's Middle America, though, right? It's Missouri, especially on an A and E ward. On an A and E <laughs> yeah. ward, yes. How much alcohol have you had, sir? Well, not as much as you love, clearly. Do you? Re- do I really want you to be stitching up my arm? At this well, that's point? where the anaesthetic comes from, surely. <laughs> Knocks them out. <laughs> it just breathes on it, and it just numbs it. <laughs> I mean, we see the aftermath of everything that's going on because I actually do think that a lot of this, that what Wesley is trying to do to get at Dalton and to and to get the town in line is predicated on his previous feelings for the doctor. It's, it's to be right. They don't really develop that as much. Like you see her picture like in his place, I think, isn't it? Once and it's like it's not even a Is she the never... daughter? I, 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 I can never piece that um, together. She's um so basically you, you early on you meet uh, a character called Red who owns a hardware store. Um and so the doc is his yeah niece, I believe. 
Um, and ah, she and she her yes, parents say, died, confused, uh, died yeah. at a young age when she was a young age. So obviously she ended up living with her uncle and aunt, who and I think it's just the aunt's passed away as well at this point. But I mean, um, and then obviously I'm going with that. So that's how they're relating. How she's kind of in, linked to the town, and um, obviously the whole a mm. whole other thing is he's kind of like going to the bad guy Brad. Actually, he's kind of running a protection racket, basically getting them getting money, then money off money off mm, them, yeah. just to supposedly improve the town, but basically lining his pocket. So um, that's kind of the, the other premise, and yeah, the fact is he has a, the hots for the dock. So this was the point where I kind of I, I turned to my wife and I said, and it was it's pretty much forgive me if I'm skipping ahead a bit too much, but we kind of got to the bit with the monster truck outside the Ford dealership, and I turned to my wife and I said. This is like one big giant A team episode without the A team, right? You know, there is there is a guy running a protection racket, and all the all the business owners have banded together and they've gone and contacted this like you know, well not a group of vigilantes, just this one vigilante who just happens to be a bouncer this time. It, that's what it felt like to me at that point. It, it was I was like ah, I think I get where this is going now. <laughs> so in so in, like in part of my notes, I actually wrote down. For the car dealer smash-up, I wrote down, where the hell are any police? Mm. You don't see any law enforcement in this entire film. One of the characters does make a comment that the police are in um, Brad Wesley's pocket. So Mm. perhaps, I mean, thinking about it too much, as as I do, he's probably already contacted them. Stay away. He obviously has that power in the town. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, which is, uh, I think, partially why, because obviously, because just before this, we have the fire at Red's auto store. Which <laughs> is... explosion, you mean? Yeah, so many, <laughs> so many explosions. Like, you have to, what he had there. Like, how many combustible elements were in that shop? Well, just as a side note, we do know it's also um, sells car parts, because that's where they're introduced at the start. He <clears throat> goes and picks mm. up a new aerial and... Uh, wing mirrors so we know there's going to be oil um i was just going back on the obviously i think american co- uh, americans in total you know like the sheriff um like <clears throat> uh town i led to believe is obviously the sheriffs are actually it's like a local authority they the town pay for these people to do it rather than like a, a government control thing so if he owns the town he obviously owns the police because he's the one that's funding it all he's the one that's hiring them all so it's kind of like you're you're, mm. you're the sheriff in town I'm making you the sheriff. Here you go. Mm. Um, so he's probably, probably okay. one way he's probably actually um, got control of it. But yeah, sorry. And um, going back to what Red, uh, Ollie was saying about Red, um, he actually buys a windshield because the windshield smashed with a sign. And that's he goes, does. it's going to, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to take a couple of weeks to come in. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> he smashed again before then. <laughs> I love that, like, when he buys that car, first of all, he just picks up a truckload of tires to throw in the boot because he knows yeah. it's going to get smashed up all the time i love it's one of those things it's like i don't understand what's happening right here but i get the feeling there's going to be a payoff much later that but was the thing not... it was like it it just seemed like a real kind of i remember sitting there going what's the point of this scene and then yeah there was a payoff but it was like oh okay if i hadn't been thinking about that i'd have still been like what was the point of that scene <laughs> i loved it because obviously they all congregate outside the the fire and they see it and they go back into the bar and then all of a sudden brad wesley like some magical bad guy just <laughs> appeared mm. in a puff of smoke by the bar and, just <laughs> <goes over. laughs> and then of course we hear the the jeff healy band coming in with hoochie coochie man which 
random side note, was the very first song that I ever learned on the electric guitar. Um, not because of this film. It was just something, <laughs> just something randomly that happened. But then you get th- th- this scene. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to break this down uh, other than, obviously, the, the, the femme fatale, as it is, Denise, laying it all out on the field to the song. Um, again, de- you can definitely tell that a dude made this film Mm. i also had one thought watching this where you think okay okay so jimmy beat seven shades of shit out of this girl for saying two words to dalton at the bar but he's quite all right for this this weird striptease to happen in the middle of the film yeah don't get that at all very very odd um i think it's almost like his show of power isn't it like brad's almost like He's taken all of his toys and all of his pets into this bar. And it's like, right, with a click of my fingers, this is what I can get people to do. If I want her to dance and make a show, I can do it. And if then I want that's... a permed mullet, I can yeah, have it. If I have... <laughs> and then that then leads on to, but if I want to, I can also bring my other pet in and do whatever I want. It is a great yeah. fight. I have to say, it is a great bar fight. It is. You know... As soon as he has that pool cue, you expect a lot. Oh, where he's like twirling it around like Darth Maul, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You have to wonder if that's where Ray Parks is uh, is, is is channeling that. Just, so is this the one they meet? Um, is it Carpus, the, the character um, uh, played by Jonga, the, the, the martial artist? Is that this, this is the scene? So over the top is like yeah. I just uh, I love that bit because it's just mental. It's crazy. Gorgeous. What you can Absolutely think of is going to happen. Probably it, that will actually happen, and it's just like fine <laughs> he's led to he, you, you know that he can do um, obviously what was it karate or tai, tai chi or whatever and then they go well here's a guy that's gonna be completely over the top with his martial arts and uh now fight yeah <laughs> i'm 99 sure he would have stabbed that guy with a with a pool cue though when he he's, there's literally a bit where he, he just lunges at him with it i'm like yeah that would have gone through him <laughs> pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was it was a good fight i did enjoy that fight scene that's quite funny. I love the the squaring off because you see you almost see three stages of fighting in this. You've got the very bare knuckle element of Wade. You've got the very Zen element of um, Dalton, and then you've got this guy who's just brutal. He's just he's just a through force. There's no mucking about. I'm pretty sure it's this uh, this scene. It's one of my favourite Wade Garrett moments where he knows what's about to happen because he's pulled out a hairband and he's about to put in, like, probably the very first top knot on TV. <laughs> and it's first just, recorded top knot. <laughs> first recorded top knot in history. And it's just like, right, shit's about to get real because Wade Garrett is tying his hair back. And I get, I'm like, I'm excited for this fight scene. Let's go. <laughs> now... I have to admit, I took that completely differently. I took that as this chick is getting stripped down. Um, oh, right. I You're might right, be right. in here. I thought he was trying to smarten himself up. <laughs> 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 so we all know where Gareth's mind goes then. <laughs> yeah. I might be in here. No, I, I agree with Ollie. Mine was more like, he knows something's going to happen. And he, he can see it. I'm sure there's like a the moment when there's obviously you see Dalton and Wade and they kind of look at each other. So kind of like, it's not a nod, but more of a look. And then it's kind of like, he's then just like doing the top knot. And it's mm. kind of like, it's going down. Well, that's almost like this, this partnership that they have. You know, Wade Garrett is this 
yet Yoda-esque character and you know <laughs> he is. Dalton, yeah. Dalton is his like his Padawan his, his junior so it's like they have this unwritten communication like oh hang on there's a ripple in the force yep shit's about to go down you need to tie my hair back time for the top knot <laughs> time for the top knot and you get that like, like that is a good point and you do get that vibe from them particularly like the following day uh, Dalton and Wade have this standoff in the, in the bar yes and Wade says again like like boxing tai chi shirtless glistened just unnecessary you say unnecessary <laughs> go on say more <laughs> <laughs> yeah tell me about his glistening abs oh. <laughs> but the you know wade has this line where he says you you've taught me almost as much as i've taught you and yeah, you, you know exactly. i think there is there is all th- this symbiotic thing between them i do get the impression that for all of the martial arts and 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 focus that dalton has wade would still kick the living shit out of him there's that moment where dalton takes a swing and he catches his fist they're just going like you've got some moves but i don't think you've been taught nearly as much as he knows and it's like the old thing where they just say something like, like if you hit, like if you take a guy's knee, he'll go down, and it doesn't matter. He Wade knows more dirty tricks than Dalton will ever know. No, I I agree with you. Also, I think Dalton, for he is very cool, very collected, but he is so easily angered. His emotions run so high. There is no middle ground with Dalton, but. Well, with Wade Garrett, he is pretty much consistently cool the entire time. He has it in check. Yeah, cool in that sense. Maybe not cool in the kind of yeah, he's he's okay. He's Whoa, got some, he's got some pretty Whoa. old attitudes. Like Whoa. Hang on. I know I know it's a product of its time, but it does it hasn't aged well, I think. No, no, I think that's fair. I mean it's good like like you know, you talk about Dalton has this this very quick to snap mentality and like going back to the to the scene Lee that you raised about Wesley talking about his grandfather he he's the he's, <laughs> he sees that in Dalton he knows that it wasn't like an accident or self-defense it's, it's, it's quite an accident yeah <laughs> someone's throat out oh whoops <laughs> it's like what sort of like what sort of knee-jerk self-defense reaction is it to rip a man's well, surely throat surely someone out? taughting that move obviously always read it somewhere he's learned this move yeah and i'm mean you don't just isn't it, that's not the first time he's ever done it he's done this somewhere else he I don't know what he's been practicing on but he he can't be instinct i've just gone like this and i've ripped his throat <laughs> out i mean he must have practiced this move on yeah. something at least so even if it's the first human i'm Worried about whatever animals might have been hurt in the process. <laughs> well, like someone's just asking him, like, "How did you ever run this? How do you run this karate school?" I used to have a bigger class. What? Yeah. <laughs> I suspect he learnt it on his psychology major. <laughs> Secretly, what they teach them. And this is why Week he doesn't one. talk. This is why he doesn't talk about it. Oh, so what do you learn on your psychology major? Rule one: We don't talk about a psychology major. Philosophy, philosophy, major. philosophy. philosophy. I was going to philosophy. <laughs> but did did you know that the, it only takes three pounds of force to rip out the human trachea? That's what they learned <laughs> in the first lesson. <laughs> Second lesson: how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I t- <right. laughs> 
So obviously, like like after this conversation, like like between the two of them, but it goes off. We get into the realm where he's he's just about ready to leave. He knows that he's going to have to go eventually, and there is that explosion at Emmett's house. Can I just ask the question: How the fuck there was anything left of Emmett in that explosion? And that's that's the thing I was going to say actually. When when they burnt down Reds as well, I was actually quite relieved that those characters survived because I was like, oh, I quite like these characters. Like they're quite. You know, they're, they're just innocent bystanders in all this. And actually, it'd be horrible if they died. But they didn't. So I was... I, there was a nice little bit of warmth inside me that they survived. Including Emmett. Yeah, despite that place being, you know, pretty much burnt to a crisp by the time Swayze goes in there. But also, how did they not hear this motorbike turn up? Because it roars away with such a force. And Dalton, he's living in an open plan barn with no doors. <laughs> you can hear everything. But yet doesn't hear a well, what i was gonna say is like when he pulls away it's like and he rubs it and then he it, it burns off like a like a couple of feet and then slows down to a crawl i'm thinking this is one guy who doesn't <laughs> care being caught but i'm thinking it's just sort of like okay what's going on here why is he just like like tore off and then suddenly just thought i'm gonna put along at five miles an hour so why did he even need it though because he was only going to go back to wesley's house across the river Surely he could have just run off on foot and nobody would have been any the wiser. I mean, surely a speedboat would have made a lot more sense because yeah. it's, it's a <laughs> hell of a detour to get across that river. I did anticipate the Terminator run after the bike, though. I was like, he's going to run after it, isn't he? He's going he's gonna to T-1000 it. Oh, there he goes. There he goes. And then there is my second favourite line of dialogue after, or exchange of dialogue just after that, which is, prepare to die. You are such an asshole." <laughs> I mean, Mwah, did- chef kiss. <laughs> and you, you, you're queuing up beautifully because then we are getting into the, as promised, the Battle of the Mullets. It is, <laughs> it is phenomenal. Let's be honest. It might be the best fight scene of the entire thing. It's a low bar. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, like there are some good fights in this. It has to be said. But of course, you do have the the very uncomfortable line. <laughs> which yes. which now made famous by Parks and Recreation with Chris Pratt reenacting the entire movie um, where he turns around and says I used to fuck guys like you in prison it's like wow like this is <laughs> I'd forgotten about that line. this is this is this is a lot like even for I think like what would have been the time an R-rated movie yeah is a lot yeah, an 18 for sure hmm. I wasn't sure if it was R or NC-17 but I think you've got to cross a lot of lines for it to be NC-17 so for me, that that line was overshadowed by the bit, like towards the end of the fight, basically where he says, "I'm going to kill you the old-fashioned way," then pulls a gun, and I'm like, "Surely fists and knives are a bit more old school than firearms." <laughs> yes. <laughs> did did he not get the? Was he trying to be ironic? I don't really get it. It was yeah. It was a really bizarre line because you're right. Like surely the most old-fashioned way would be to do it with your bare hands, mm. which, as we found out, the second that the gun gets pulled is exactly what happens because fatality. Dalton yeah for all yeah Dalton with the first mortal combat fatality because out of everything that happens all of the fights that happen he just straight up murders this dude then then screams Wesley fuck you across the river yeah <laughs> but what I what I do like is that yes he rips out his esophagus and yet this guy still manages to scream as he falls into the lake Oh, good catch. I didn't even notice that. There's like, yeah. there's like a, right, his throat's gone, and then there's a, ah! It should be like a wet gurgle, right? I'll go you one better, because the second that he falls into the water, 
And of course, Kelly Lynch then runs after the body. What does she do? She opens his eyes. She opens his <laughs> eyes to check and went, bitch, you're a doctor. <laughs> There's a hole in his throat. <laughs> <laughs> Chances are, if you don't hear anything there, it doesn't matter what's happening here. I mean, she may have just thought it was a really, like, hashed tracheotomy. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Dalton was trying to save his life. So she what? gave him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> benefit of the doubt. He's ripped his throat out. He either needs to breathe, have, like, badly or... <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of all goes a bit dark night uh, dark night after that, doesn't it? It's like, who dies? Who lives, who dies? Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which which I think, you know, obviously that's, that's like the main tension builder that I think they put into the film. Was that I'll give you a 50-50. But then there's the whole thing. Like, so Dalton's just straight up murdered this guy in full view of about five or six different people. Wesley owns the police. There's no police inquiry at all into this guy having his throat ripped out. I guess it would then I guess it would then ask more questions like what was he doing there in the first place kind of deal. But he owns the police, so why does he care, right? Surely he just use it right, I'm gonna get him banged up. But then a house had just literally exploded. So there's oh, all that true. to que- there's all that to question as well. I mean we'll see later that the the police department like, you know, the, the, what sums the film up really, but Yeah. Yeah, there's no there's no police inquiry at this point. So the obviously we have a fifty fifty on who's going to get got whether it's going to be the doc or if it's going to be wade it like that scene i'm actually gonna throw a little bit of credit to this because i think like like swayze for what the film is and how it's taken and whatnot when he finds wade's body in the bar and he sees the note i think he's acting the shit out of that scene i genuinely think i think like <laughs> it's like it's it, it like granted it's a bit of, it's not that much of a stretch with most of what happens in the film but i think he is like he's he's really going for it. he's killing it in that scene uh, t- apart from the whole straining where he's trying to pull a knife out and stuff like that so i just just <laughs> go back because he, he he's in the bar and that's when he gets the phone call going about what happened last night you need to you basically one of them's going to, one of the, he's going to kill the doc whether he's going to kill the doc or, or um wade and you've got that choice and then he doesn't know what to do so he and so obviously wesley then flips a coin and makes a choice with him goes, unfortunately you don't know what the uh, what the answer was and at that point then wade comes through the door having been in a fight but survived so obviously then um dalton's thinking they've gone after the doc then if they've let him go so he's raced after the doc and then fine she's at the hospital and everything's fine um, obviously she's not talking to him after what happened last night so he goes back to the bar and of course that's when he finds Wade asleep <laughs> well on the bar and then obviously when rolls him over that's when the knife's in him and then he's like yeah and then <laughs> the whole scene of him trying to pull the knife out it does take a good five minutes for him to pull that knife out doesn't he it's, it's... <laughs> it's a big knife <laughs> did anyone else find it odd though that he sort of comes he staggers in and it's like, oh, you need to sit down. I'm going to prop, put you on this big high bar stool where you might lose <laughs> consciousness and hit your head on the floor, but it's okay. Like, it's like, no, put him on a couch or something. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> no, just me. I think, yeah, it's like, yeah. Again, again, there's a lot of like, like, make, like, make do with what's around you situations in this. <laughs> Budget didn't stretch to a couch or a comfy chair. No, no, it's far stool. too far away. Well, that's I think why he ended up sleeping on the bar. Quote unquote. Ah, of course. And they'd already broken everything in the bar in previous <laughs> scenes. Yeah, true. So of course we get into the home into the home stretch of this film. We get to the final fight, which 
every time I watch this, when you see the car blaze through the mansion and they open the door and they are so surprised that he's not there. Because of course he's not going to be. One, how much firepower do you need for one man? Like that was an RCA levels of. Uh, I mean that that was just GTA all over. For me. It's just like you know <laughs> somebody herring at you in a car and all you've got is a shotgun or a pistol and it's like four people. I'm gonna have to build a, a, a custom GTA mode based on that. I think unbelievable. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. I always just think it's like, well, of course he's not in the car, you morons. Like how ridiculous <laughs> is that? But I always get the inkling with this because no one really walks away from this scene bar one person on 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 the bad guy's side and that just makes me feel that has dalton like just got a taste for this now like has he has he just gone a bridge too far because he just kills everyone a lot of it's off screen as well actually I, i read about this in the trivia like they filmed a lot of the you know the henchmen getting offed but they just didn't didn't cut it out for whatever reason like to to shorten the runtime which was a bit of a shame because it's like, well, surely a lot of these people, like these characters, deserve it. Mm. Regarding that, I actually quite like that you don't see the other deaths because this, it's like, what other skills does Dalton have? You know, he can silently like walk around a house, offing <laughs> everyone like a ninja. He's basically. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like that side. It just, it almost turns into this creepy creepy scene where it's like you don't know (laughs) (laughs) maybe so no i i know i actually like that as well because it is like you've got wesley walking around his house and he's hearing stuff go off and then he keeps going to different rooms and then more and more the henchmen are just down so for him he's like going oh crap what the fuck's going on and i just i just love it and then (laughs) and then it's that typical 80s mansion trophy room where they've got enough every stuffed animal in the world in this one room and uh yeah he just it's like ah you found my trophy room (laughs) (laughs) which which then leads to another great line except your ass yeah the only thing missing is your ass that was one of my favorite lines of dialogue as well (laughs) i see you found my trophy room (laughs) i'll admit brilliant I know they make this out to some sort of like stereotypical thing. The only trophy rooms I've seen like this are Roadhouse and Ace Ventura when nature calls. <laughs> That's like the only two. <laughs> Probably the same one, right? Like the same set. <laughs> I mean, I'll, right. I'll give Wesley credit where it is due. Like that spear throw that he does gets some distance. Oh, bloody hell, yeah, it does. It's like shot out of a cannon when it embeds in the wall. It was impressive, it was right? Dead straight. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I give him credit. He actually gave Dalton a run for his money. Mm. Give that man a pool cue. He was pretty much kicking that guy's ass. But I mean, we've we've glossed over the death by polar bear here, which I thought was probably the funniest death in the film. That death hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I was going to come to that cuz that's another uh, of my favorite lines. Go on. <laughs> Well, no, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll no, 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 go on, go on, go on. Well, it's, it's it's the end of the film. They're talking about what's just taken place. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. no, no, that is quite a bit far ahead. So I'll wait. But it, he had like 20 seconds to dodge it out of the way of that thing. And he, it was the Austin Powers, no! And like, you know, enough time to expel that breath, but not enough time to well, let's say, take a step what, what backwards. He doesn't actually die. But yeah, no, but I think the right. fact he is that he loses him because he walks, he see him walk into this room and he's scared and there's stuff going on. And the next he, he hears, he's like, he's probably like the the biggest 
but also the scaredest bad guy. And then he hears a movement, and then that's when the polar bear topples down, and that's when the, the scream. But yeah, it just it's, it is one of those, one of the most funny bits of the film. It's really interesting because, like, for me, I swear to God, he like he's doing a Lou Costello style exhale. For those of you who don't know, so you've got Abin Costello comedy act in the in the thirties. It's really fun because, like Costello, whenever he used to get scared, he always used to be. A... <laughs> Like some weird Muttley-esque style thing. And I swear to God that guy was doing it. I thought, wow, that's a really that's a really weird choice. It's your choice and I stand by you, but that was really weird. It's definitely out of context for the whole film, though. Oh, completely. Yeah. Not that it's been... The funny bits have been because it's bad funny, but this bit, for some reason, there's a little bit of comedy right at the end, and it was like, um, why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why now? Slapstick. Hasn't been unless unless they filmed other bits and never made the actual tonally. I mean, weird, like, isn't it? why in this end scene? But I assume they had to do something. They probably filmed this scene and go, "Well, yeah. you've got to do something with this bad guy." You've seen him in other episodes, other scenes. You need to now have a story, finish the story up with him a bit. For this, for this last fight between Dalton and Wesley, it does genuinely feel like they filmed two sequels back to back because the pause. <laughs> of Dalton holding this pose is so fucking long where he's toying whether he's going to rip out Wesley's trachea for, for a third victim. It is so long. It is such a long pause. I think it cuts back and forth to each of them about three different times. It does. And like he's killed everyone else, so why does he hesitate and not bother on this guy? He's literally offed about ten people by this point. What's one yeah. more to the tally, right? Exactly. All of a sudden, after offing an entire house, he's gained a conscience. <laughs> now, where did that come from? He's got a little cricket standing on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe he does. Exactly. You've killed nine. You do want double figures now. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but then, after that, like it's it's a scene reminiscent of Alex Murphy's death in RoboCop, right? <laughs> Just like so many shotgun blasts. <laughs> It is ridiculous. Like I remember watching that for the first time and just going, "Oh shit!" Like this, like this has gotten. If it wasn't serious before, like you got people like before he like Wesley's almost treating like the decisions that he's making as a business thing. Granted, there's a very psychotic way of looking at it, but he's very methodical in what he's doing. These guys just waltz up with shotguns and say, "We're gonna fucking deal with this." Well, if someone else was gonna put a freeway through to Toontown, wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> 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 but yeah it, i mean it says a lot about the police that to quell that investigation all they have to say despite being at the crime scene and all having motives well it's, it's more the fact is that yeah so if you if you haven't obviously seen it um Dalton doesn't kill think goes no i'm not gonna rip his traker out and then he turns away and that's when um wesley gets grabbed goes for a gun is it but then in, in walk in, then obviously a shot goes off and you're thinking mm. he's been shot but no it's you got red emmett and the bar owner for the life of me i can't remember his name now and they it's car ownership there's like there's and like four yeah and basically well. they all yeah, shoot him with a shotgun in different like different quadrants left shoulder right shoulder down <laughs> in, the hip, in the in the stomach and kill him off and then one of them just literally walks take collects all the gun out and walks to the next room and literally the police turn up and then he walks back in and go no, i haven't seen anything what about you <laughs> yeah oh what happened here why are all my why are all our prints on all these guns in the next room <laughs> Yeah, the, the, let's be honest. The level of law enforcement in this town is just something to behold. It's just it's, it's the first copper we yeah. see is yeah. is that sheriff coming in. 
yeah. brandishing his gun in the, everyone's face. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it would get more. It like it would be a more efficient murder investigation if Mahoney turned up <laughs> from police academy <laughs> and, and 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 worked through it. And that's it. Then, and, and and that's and that's the film. Not before one of the best lines in the film. Oh, Tigger, what did you see? A polar bear fell on me. <laughs> Just want to correct you. It's, it's Tinker. End film. <laughs> yeah. Tinker. Tigger. <laughs> but Tigger. <laughs> Actually Tigger, yeah. He's, he's a little bit too portly to be bouncing like Tigger, isn't he? He's like... <laughs> but that, that going back to what Luke said earlier, it's all of a sudden you've, you've got comedic relief from this one character <laughs> intentional comedy yeah yeah and it throws the film right at the last minute because you've got red and another character looking at each other like knowingly and yeah. it's just like I, I just find it such a peculiar like ending i know it's not the end end but i find it such an odd ending comedy with sinister undertones right <laughs> yeah and i think that's it i think you know the structure of it is so strange like they've almost thrown this in of like oh yeah we can't just end it on this on this severe homicide like we're gonna have to like end it on some sort of a high note so we'll just throw in this gag at the end <laughs> well one, but the other thing is the doc turns up as well and she's pissed off with dalton from the night before for killing some guy now he just killed a whole bunch of other people but now she's willing to like jump in bed with him again yeah she's like making out with him all is forgiven that's what i'm saying this woman is damaged something isn't right i think if dalton wasn't going to kill him i think she straight up would have just done away with him in the hospital if they turned up in the (laughs) a and e because you do you have then this final scene where you have the two of them skinny dipping in like this little house on the prairie-esque scene and it's like this beautiful tranquil ending it's like all but is everyone forgiven. died <laughs> yeah everyone died but all is forgiven <laughs> sins are washed away it is certainly a very odd way to end the film very upbeat but very very is it odd. like a, a total recall style ambiguous ending it's like oh Maybe he actually died in one of the previous fights, and this is all his like fever dream as he's like expiring, and like you know, does it fade out to white at the end or black? I can't remember. If it fades out to white, that usually means they've died, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And yeah, and then credits roll. That's the that's the end of the film. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> Lee, we were talking about budget earlier. Indication of what I could look at is that the film had a budget of seventeen million dollars, despite the fact about even to this day critically being seen as a flop. The Rotten Tomatoes with a critic score of thirty nine percent and an audience score of sixty six. <laughs> I love that the audience score is like twice that <laughs> the critics one. <laughs> but despite all of that against it, it still made almost double its money. I think it made just about over $30 million. Like, worldwide, it still made a profit. How does that budget compare to an equivalent film of the era? Like, I would have to check know? on inflation oh, okay, with that. Right. No, I haven't looked on that. It was, it, it, it was more the case of like what they were spending at the time compared to what they got back. But that, that's an interesting point there, Lee, actually. 1989, I had a, like, a quick look, seemed like a real hotbed for Hollywood. There were some other incredible films out that year. I mean, you had things like Batman, Tim Burton, Michael Keaton came out of the movie. You had Back to the Future 2 came out that year. 
uh, Dead Poet Society, uh, numerous fil- Ghostbusters 2 and Lethal Weapon 2. So many great films to and, compare and it to. And Roadhouse, <laughs> which does exp- perhaps, you know, it was nominated for pretty much every single Razzie mm. that year. Do the Razzies go back that far? Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, so they w- it was nominated in 1990. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so the following year. Yeah, well, the nom- five nom- nominations, yeah, for Worst Picture, <laughs> Worst Actor. Worst supporting actor, worst director, <laughs> worst screenplay. I mean, worst screenplay, definitely. I can see that. Oh, completely. <laughs> completely. You forget sometimes the length of time you had to wait for certain things. I think we're very spoiled now as a culture. When you think the like the film was released in cinemas in 1989, this did not receive a VHS release until 1992. Wow. Three years after a film came out in the cinema. You imagine watching a film... Well, all the films are being held up now anyway, but you imagine watching a film now in the cinema and then you have to wait three years to watch it at home. Was that the norm at the time, though? I seem to remember that films did take a long time to yes. go from cinema to home video. Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Was, was it particularly long in this case because it flopped at the box office or that's just the nature of movies back then? No, I think it's just the nature of movies. The film... I was looking up, I don't know if anyone else found this, but apparently the original cut of this movie is almost three and a half hours long. Wow. There's all those deaths in the mansion. (laughs) They just cut all those out. Although, didn't they also cut a lot of the barmaid out, actually? I think I I remember reading this, actually, that she she had a lot more scenes, um, probably more character development to probably put a side love interest in for Dalton and they apparently cut i think i read that, Sorry. Is that am, I, am i remembering that right so there's stuff like that but then you've also got the new bartender who's played by actor keith david who does the voice of facilier and princess and the frog arbiter in halo 3 2 and 3 yep there is a bit of a backstory behind how he gets the job and so there was uh, some, okay. so it's basically there's a lot more exposition which i think probably would have made a little bit more sense but of course at this point in the industry you didn't have a film that was three hours and 20 minutes long it just didn't happen i'm surprised this is nearly two hours to be honest Mm, that did shock me actually when i looked at the running time before i watched it i was Mm. like oh because i i don't mind admitting that i was quite hesitant to watch this like this being our first episode i was like oh couldn't we have picked a film that we all wanted to watch and I, I'm, I'm glad that I have now, but at the time I was a bit like, oh, it's two hours long and I really don't like the idea, the plot and stuff. I, I went into this completely blind. I had no preconceptions other than the aforementioned Peter Griffin family guy scene. So I didn't know how how great this would be. Like, you know, I, I really enjoyed it, <laughs> like, you know, spoilers. But at the time I was a bit hesitant to watch it. I was really struggling to justify or find the time to watch it. Mm. But I'm glad I did because it was genuinely hilarious like it's funny really because if you think like if this film was made now and it was three hours long and then it got cut down to like an hour and three quarters that's that's justice league <laughs> that is literally that's that's literally what's happening with justice league now I, I, I and i'll be honest if someone turned around to me now and said ah, we're gonna completely recut roadhouse again and you're gonna get the full three hours and 20 minutes i i'd like i'd pay I'd watch it. <laughs> it's like the Godfather director's cut. Or like <laughs> I was really amused to hear that obviously like Swayze, who uh, obviously gained a lot of uh, a lot of attention 
through Dirty Dancing. And apparently he was like things were getting very difficult on set. Like there was a lot of middle aged women kind of rocking up in coaches to set. There was one hmm. bit where they were actually filming around by the barn and some of them had actually jumped on a boat and was heading into where they were filming just to try and get near to Swayze. That's like hmm. weird Beatles level style of trying to get hmm. away from fans. That's that's really ridiculous. <laughs> but he was at that time, he was very much the sex symbol, hmm. wasn't he? After, yeah, After Dirty, Dirty Dancing, because yeah. he he hadn't done much prior to Dirty Dancing apart from some music videos and a couple of like teen drama esque movies, but now this was really propelling him into leading man sex symbol territory. Yes, yeah, I think you know you're dealing with like it was Dirty Dancing, then obviously two years later we get this. He did Next of Kin in between, which. Um, which I think introduced the States to Liam Neeson. Also in between, um, there's a film that I do remember watching called Steel Dawn, which is almost a sci-fi remake of this film. It's really? About a it's, it's a loner in a post-apocalyptic land, stumbles across a small community that is being bullied, and he goes in, cleans it up, Rips everyone's throats out. <laughs> rips throats, rips throats out, and saves the day. But it was a sci-fi version. Gareth, I motion to add this to the list. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll... favour. <laughs> oh well, yes. I'll need to see a trailer before we decide. <laughs> no, Ollie sold it to me. It's fine. It's done. <laughs> we should. I wish I knew that before. We could have done that as a back-to-back <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Uh, of course, two years after this, we get Point Break, which he kind of—it's yes. almost like he's scaling up in the in the in the action ranks. He goes from, but he goes from Ghost to then Point Break, doesn't he? I, I don't know. I, I'm not aware of the year. Yes, yeah, yeah. So they, yeah. So it went, it went Dirty Dancing. Two years later, we had Roadhouse. A year later, we had Ghost, and then Point Break. See, that's quite was a, after that. like that's quite a like change because his his acting's not great in this film. The plot of this film is not great, but then he goes to something like Ghost, which is quite... I, I don't know how much of that is rose-tinted specs. Again, I've never seen it, but I, I understand it's quite highly... Like, regarded. Liked. Yeah, it regarded, is. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have seen it a number of times, and yes, it's famous for the the spinning clay scene, of course, but it, there's some great scenes between Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze, but then Patrick Swayze and Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, she's brilliant. Goldberg she's brilliant in and that Demi film. Moore. Yeah, it is. I I think it is a very good film. Perhaps we, maybe for another time. But as you say, it then leads on to his other most iconic role as Bodie in Point Break. Another one I've yet to see. My my what? my like cinema kind of uh, filmography, as it were, of what I've seen is is limited compared to a lot of people's. This and this it, episode it list everyone. for this podcast, if we do, like, you know, like the further we get, I think just becomes more and more extensive. I keep adding as we go. But I do have to say though, Point Break is just brilliant. It's actually it's it's in the archive of greatness. There's there's no questioning it. There's no is it good because it's so bad? No, it's so good because it's so good. Okay, I I will well <laughs> I will add it to my watch list. <laughs> I've heard nothing but good things about Point Break. So, 
And that's the film. That's where it is. I mean, obviously, I didn't really hold my cards to my chest very much before we went on today. So it's very evident from me that I, I do love this film. It still holds strong for me. I do think it's not really... It hasn't aged well, um, but I do think that is that that doesn't necessarily stop me from watching it, if that makes sense. I think you can watch something from a certain perspective and appreciate it for the time that it was made, rather than look at it from a more a more modern lens. Because at the time, obviously, that was modern, and you didn't really have much more to go by. But Lee, considering that this was the the first time that you watched it, how did it how did it measure for you? Yeah, it, it, like I said um, a little bit earlier, I was initially hesitant to watch it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get around to watching this. I'm really not into it. And then, yeah, I did. And I'm glad I did because it was... I, I saw it as a... Um, and I, I, like I said, I had no preconceptions. So I didn't know if it was regarded as being a good film or not. I kind of... I got about halfway through and I'm like, this is like the deadly prey, but with a higher budget. It's, it's the deadly prey of, of cinema movies in 1989. And by the end, I was I was really enjoying it. You know, I watched it with my wife, and we both really enjoyed watching it because we were just we just found it so hysterical how how ludicrous the plot was and how sort of bad the dialogue was and things like that. So yeah, I I'm glad I watched it. I really enjoyed it. I think I would. It's not one I would go back to immediately unless it was like, hey guys, let's have a few drinks and watch Roadhouse. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the good thing with a film like this. I think there is a, a substantial level of escapism in it mm. which i think still like for me still rings true it's just a it's just a good film just to put on if you want something familiar and particularly particularly with things the way that they are at the moment i think it's really good to have some nice little comfort blankets that you can sort of turn to chewing gum for the eyes right exactly exactly would you recommend it to anyone that hasn't watched it before right this is a hard i mean it's it's a hard sell unless I was going to say, oh, if you want a, a a movie that's so bad it's good, yes, I would recommend it. If somebody said to me, oh, Lee, what's a, you know, we're having a shitty movie night. What other than The Room? What would you recommend? And I'd be like, well, <laughs> it's it's The Room, Deadly Prey, and probably Roadhouse now, <laughs> like, right? Because it's just it's one of the, it, it takes itself so seriously, but the the amount of ridiculousness in terms of like contrivance of, of plot points and and dialogue is just it's too funny because it just doesn't work but it, it it's so serious in in wanting to get it to work that it just it just becomes laughable yeah so yeah i, I think if that's how i would recommend it if i was going to recommend it to anyone cool cool uh luke yes brother what are you taking away from this um i say i said at the start it was actually a film i do quite like it is over the top it is there is some bad acting but i i it's one of those films. It's, it's a bit of nothing. It's just a lot of violence and explosions, and it's yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but it's something you can sit down and watch, and it's just a bit of fun, really. Um, that's why I like it because it's one of those. So I find it an easy watch, I say, because it's just so bad it's funny. But as Lee, as Lee said, that it try it is not meant to be funny. They're trying to be serious. Um, yeah. Apart from that one scene, the two scenes at the end where they, for some reason, put comedic value in. But, I mean, like, it's meant to be a deadly serious film. And that's why it's funny, and that's why I like to watch it. Because it's just it's just an easy watch. You can put on an evening and go have a beer and just laugh at it. Brilliant, brilliant. Ollie, you have provided some thorough and very interesting analysis 
in reading between the lines of these characters' motivations today have, have been very entertained. What about you? How have you felt about rewatching this again? I'm just going to say that I'm loath to put it in the same DVD rack as The Room. <laughs> I'm... Ollie, Ollie, for like listeners, for all of you that are actually wondering, Ollie is actually loath to put anything in the same DVD rack as The Room, incidentally. He hasn't put the DVD of The Room in his DVD player yet <laughs> after this amount of time. <laughs> I got the DVD, threw the case out the window, and used the DVD as a coaster. <laughs> High praise indeed. But that's that's by the by. What it with the with Roadhouse, it is. This should be good. The fi- the, the film is a lot of fun, <laughs> and that's what it is. The acting isn't serious, like the room is. The directing, I don't think, is serious, like the room is. They, I suspect, they know exactly. They knew exactly what they were making with this film. Like you could see that um, well. Swayze and Lynch were having fun with the role, and that Sam Elliott was also having great fun with the role. And they just went along for the ride. And I think that shows in the film. Yes, even though it is just high kicks and hairspray <laughs> and a lot of like hard country blues. I am, yeah, as I say, loath to put it in the same category as The Room because I think there was great intention and I will put it in the same vein as Lethal Weapon and later on something like Speed and Die Hard Mm. and also Point Break and I would recommend it as 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 a good action flick but to a very specific audience. I think someone of our generation would get it and appreciate it. Agreed, yeah. I think if it was someone younger, a teenager today, I think they would take they'd take it the wrong way. They wouldn't see it in the same nostalgic light that we now see it as we lived through the back end of the 80s into the 90s, coming into the noughties. I think we can look at, look at it with rose-tinted glasses. I, th- I think it would be a very hard sell to someone much younger. Mm, I'd agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't, like, I couldn't show this to Mel, you know, like she's 21 in February. It's my daughter, listeners, for all of you wondering, throwing these names out. But yeah, my, like my, you know, Mel's going to be 21. I think this wouldn't really register enough. I think there's too much of the period in that for a lot of younger audience to get. Tricky one with Mel. She does have great taste, though. And she is, like, her father's daughter. Well, she does prefer the prequels over the originals. So that's well, debatable. That's, that's a generational thing, though. Yeah. That's a generational yeah. thing. But this is a, this is a standalone film. And I think because of the people she's been brought up with, mm. she'll take it how we see it as a bit of fun. But anyone else, I think, would, would struggle with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it would just be like, what is this? What is this farcical piece of crap? <laughs> Who Who's Patrick Swayze when he's at home? It's like, it's like, well, well, hang on. This guy looks who's remarkably like the guy from Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. Yeah. What? <laughs> but I love how you launched into an argument with yourself there, all. That was brilliant. I, I'm <laughs> good at doing that. Really good. We'll just make a podcast about that. Just let Ollie go for... Ramble. <laughs> yeah. Well, I... Appreciate you guys taking the time out today to to join me to to talk about this obviously brilliant but very marmitey movie. 
I think it's Thanks like having you, us. no, no. It's been a pleasure. I hope we've got more to come, listeners. Thank you for checking in. Obviously, we are still going on with YouTube, and we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Handles will be in the podcast description. And yeah, we will have another episode coming for you very, very soon. Uh, Luke, Ollie, thank you very much for joining. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. Lee, thank you as well. And obviously you've got the Average Gamers podcast coming, which again, people, if you are interested in tabletop board games of any description, Lee and our friend Adam that manage the podcast, they're releasing one. Have you got another one coming out soon? We are recording next weekend, our next episode. Brilliant. Okay, so that's all for now, everyone. So again, thank you very much for joining in. And in the words of Wade Garrett, keep it cool, kid. <laughs>